0: Thank you, Pastor Andreas. Well, good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. It's a joy and a privilege to uh, be here again this morning. And as Pastor Andreas shared, we've been here since uh, early June and uh, have been so grateful for connections and the opportunity to sit under the uh, teaching and preaching ministry of our pastors and uh, other elders and guests here at Wallenstein. And uh, we are thankful for uh, for each and every one of you, and we look forward as the time goes on to getting to know more of you. Uh, can I just share uh, just something that's very close to my heart among many things when it comes to the church before I preach this morning? And it relates to how we welcome those who are new to the church. That's always been a big part of our lives and ministries of churches that we've been involved in. We've had the privilege of being a part of uh, of growing churches And I would say one of the reasons among many that those were growing churches is is the way that people who are already part of the church family uh, connected and welcomed those who were newcomers. Uh, They practiced hospitality. And of course, hospitality literally means what? Welcoming of strangers. And whether that's in our own homes or in our neighborhoods or in the family of God, how we welcome those whom God brings to us. And we never know on any given Sunday who God is going to entrust to us and someone could show up on a Sunday morning and God has drawn them to church that Sunday and they do not yet know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior or it could be someone who has been struggling in their faith and maybe has dropped out of church for a period of time and God has brought them to church could be a friend of someone who had invited them to join them on that particular Sunday but no matter who they are what we do as those who are already part of the church family, to connect with those who are new is absolutely important. Let me share just briefly our experience of coming to Wallenstein. Our first Sunday here was the second Sunday of June. When we came in the door, we uh, we met Neil and Roseanne Martin. And it wasn't just, you know, good morning, how are you? They engaged with us in conversation. That made a world of difference to us. After the service, uh, Veronica met... Pastor Gary in the foyer and engaged in conversation. Josiah, our adult son, and I went over to the information table to ask a few questions. We got to meet Pastor Wayne and, again, engaged in conversation with us. We met uh, uh, Glenn and Elaine Ginrich after the service as well. Uh, the next Sunday, we found out it's a potluck. So we decided, guess what? Well, we knew we were coming back as a result of that first Sunday and the way that we were welcomed as strangers. We knew there was a potluck. We said, we're gonna bring food. Well, my wife brought the food. You wouldn't want me to be cooking it. And we decided we were gonna stay for the potluck. And so we sat down at our table, the three of us. It was a table for eight after we got our food. And Dwayne and Bev Weidman, along with their three little children, intentionally came and sat with us. They could have sat anywhere, right? They have friends and connections already in the church, but very intentionally, they came and sat with us with their young children, us older people, and they engaged with us in conversation. That led to, to uh, just opportunity for uh, Dwayne to reach out to our son. They went cycling together along with Duane's brother. They've been out canoeing. They've had breakfast together. Those things, let me tell you, make a world of difference to those who are new to the church. And I know from what I've heard from our pastors and others here at Wallenstein, that God's brought a lot of new people here in the last while, Right. And that's a wonderful blessing. That's a gift from God. He's entrusting our church with people we do not yet know. And I'm praying personally that that just keeps on happening, that God keeps on entrusting people to us. And then we do what God has called us to do. And it's not just the greeter at the door. It's not just the welcomer in the foyer. It's not just the ushers when people come into the sanctuary. We all have a responsibility to reach out to these people whom God is entrusting to us. And pray that God will just use us in a great way. God is blessing this church. Do you believe that this morning? Okay, that's only about five of you. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. It's okay to say amen in God's church, okay? (laughs) Praise God. God's doing a great work here. Lives are being impacted with the good news of the gospel. People are being baptized. People are serving, using their gifts and their abilities for the glory of God. Pray for wisdom, would you? For our elders. Those who give uh, spiritual leadership to us here at Wallenstein, our pastors and all of our ministry staff, they need our prayers. Their families need our prayers. They need protection. They need our encouragement. May God continue to use them and use all of us because there's a great work to be done. There's a harvest field all around us and God wants to use all of us for his glory. Let's pray together before we look into the word. Father, thank you uh, for this time together this morning. Thank you for those who have uh, helped lead us in uh, musical worship, in prayer, in communion. Uh, We have truly seen Christ high and lifted up in this place this morning. And Lord, you speak to us through these various aspects of our worship. And Father, you also speak to us by your spirit through your word. And I pray and my prayer has been for this morning that Father, your Spirit would have freedom to move in our midst, and that we would be open and receptive to what the Spirit of God would say to us through the Word of God this morning. So guide us by your Spirit, we pray. We love you. We give you thanks for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You've probably heard over the years the phrase on a need-to-know basis. Basically, it means if you tell people something on a need-to-know basis— You only tell them the facts that they need to know at the time that they need to know them and nothing else. It's often used in a military context when uh, battle plans are being prepared. There may be uh, literally dozens who are involved in in putting together the big picture of the battle plan, but often there's only a few who know every specific detail. Uh, Others who are involved in leadership of that battle are given small parts to play. It's what they need to know in order for that full battle plan to be accomplished. Praise God this morning, and even as we've been challenged to consider reading through the word of God this year, and by the way, if you sat down and did it in one sitting, it would take you about 91 hours. You think, wow, that's a lot of time. Works out to 15 minutes a day. You can read through the entire Bible in one year. Praise God he has given to us in his word everything we need to know. Everything we need to know about him, everything we need to know about saving faith, everything we need to know about how to function together as the body of Christ and as the family of God, everything we need to know to live our lives all for Christ as passionate followers of Jesus after we've made that personal commitment to accept him as our Lord and Savior. In Philippians chapter 3, where we will focus this morning, just on two verses, Philippians three ten and 11, the Apostle Paul shares with us four things we need to know about the reality of our own relationship with Jesus. Four things that speak to us about this relationship that we have with Christ. Four things that the Apostle Paul was passionate about in his life. And my prayer for us this morning and my prayer for myself is that God would use the words of the Apostle Paul as he wrote them under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit to cause all of us to reflect about our own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the reality that means for us personally. So go with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I'm actually going to start reading back in verse 7, but our main focus will be just on these two verses this morning. Pick up with me in verse 7, Philippians chapter 3. For whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Four things that the Apostle Paul in these two verses shares with us related to the reality of our relationship with Jesus. Number one, a real relationship with Jesus must be personal. It must be personal. Do you see what Paul says right at the beginning of verse 10? I want to know Christ. And then back up again in verse number eight, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of what of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord to know here means to know by experience in other words this is not just a head knowledge there's a lot of people that I've met over the years and had conversations with who know a lot of things about Jesus you have probably met those people as well maybe they were like I was raised in Sunday school I only got to Sunday school because when we immigrated to Canada when I was four years of age from England, and by the way, Andreas and I share the same birthplace. We just found that out this week in Southampton, England. I came a little bit before him. (laughs) I ended up going to Sunday school because people in a church like this loved me for Jesus and picked me up on a bus as a four-year-old. My older brother, who was seven at the time, also went to Sunday school with me And no one in their right mind today is going to send a four year old and a seven year old on a bus to go to anybody's Sunday school. It just doesn't happen anymore. My parents didn't sign any paperwork. They didn't, you know, give, they just gave verbal permission. But God used that in a significant way. You know what my parents were thinking, right? We were living in a one bedroom apartment. And my parents were thinking, hmm, you're going to take our two boys for three hours every Sunday morning? We're gonna have a quiet Sunday morning. We'll be glad to get them up into the door. But as a result of two churches loving me for Jesus and getting me to Sunday school on their bus, at the age of ten, after hearing the gospel and the stories of the Bible for six years, I came to that place at a camp where I got down, came down out of the back row and got down on my knees at the front of camp on that Friday night in response to the gospel message and in tears. I cried out to the Lord and asked him to forgive me of my sin and accept me as a child of God. That day, I'll never forget it. I remember and I knew my sins were forgiven and I had the guarantee of a home in heaven for all eternity. I've learned a few things since that time, but that's all I needed to know at that point. And God was so gracious in providing the gospel and speaking to my heart, but using God's people to get me to Sunday school so I could hear about Jesus. In those first six years, I learned a lot about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. And there's a lot of people who know a lot of facts, but they do not know him personally. See, I experienced salvation that night. It was very personal. And that's where it all starts. A real relationship with Jesus has to be personal. Let me illustrate it this way. The young lady that I met in April of 1984 who eventually about 18, well, exactly 18 months later, would become my wife, uh, began to build a relationship with her. I was assistant pastor at her church and asked her out, and we began to build a relationship. In the first few months of building our relationship, I learned a lot of things about her. Uh, I already knew her parents because they attended our church, Vince and Mary. I, I, some of her siblings attended our church, but when I was invited home for Sunday dinner, uh, I learned uh, the names of all of her siblings. You ready? Vince, Victor, Vicky, Vanna, Virginia, Vanessa, Veronica, Vonda, and Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> you got that memorized? There'll be a quiz afterwards, and Andreas will have a prize for you. No. <laughs> I married Veronica. I learned about extended family because some of them she was on the younger end older ones were already married already had children so this large family that has continued to grow over the years I saw her heart for the Lord I learned her personal testimony I saw her get baptized as a public commitment to Christ and I knew personally early on that I wanted to marry her God had to do a great work in her heart to bring her to the place where she understood that God loved her and I had a wonderful plan for her life. (laughs) So I learned a lot about her, but did I really know her? I can tell you it's as a result of the experiences that God has taken us through over the years. 18 years of building our relationship, just over 37 years of marriage, serving together in pastoral ministry. Through those experiences some of them absolutely incredible joyful experiences some of them incredibly difficult experiences but through all those experiences that God has taken us through that's when I've really gotten to know her you know what I love about the apostle Paul here he wrote these words some 30 years after he met Jesus in Acts as recorded in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus On his way to persecute Christians, he was confronted with the truth of the gospel. He was convicted by the truth of the gospel. He was converted by the truth of the gospel, and then he gave his life from that day forward to be controlled by the truth of the gospel. But 30 years later, what does he say? I want to know Christ. I would hope this morning, if you're like me and been a follower of Jesus for many years... Uh, For me, next year will be 52 years of following Jesus. That you would still pray, I want to know Christ. And if you're going to make that your prayer, guess what you have to be ready for? Experiences that God will take you through. And some of them will be joyful, and some of them will be very challenging. But God will use those experiences to draw you closer and deeper in your relationship with him. Can I ask you this morning, would that be your prayer as a follower of Jesus? 30 years, 50 years, 10 years later, whatever it is for you, that you would still say, I want to know Christ? Can I also ask you this morning, if you're here today or watching online and have never come to that place of personal repentance of sin and faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Would you make that decision today? Maybe God's already been working your hearts and convicting you of, of sin and confronting you with the message of the gospel. It's the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. I will never regret, as I look back over my life, making that decision at 10 years of age. I remember uh, soon after I made that decision, I came home from camp. I was quite shy and quiet growing up, and I didn't tell anybody about my decision. But the camp was really smart, because they sent a letter to the church I was attending in Sunday school, telling them about my decision. And to my embarrassment, they sent a letter to my parents, telling them about my decision. And I'll never forget helping my mom do the laundry one day in August of 1971. And she said to me, we got a letter from that camp you went to this summer, telling us about the decision you made to accept Jesus. These were her exact words to me as a 10 year old. She says, that's good for you. It's not for us, referring to her and my dad. And then she said these words that I'll never forget. A decision like that carries a lot of responsibility. I never forgot those words. I didn't really know what they meant at age 10 but I've obviously come to understand what that means for me as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That decision carries a lot of responsibility. To him who much has been given, much is is required. If you're here today and never accepted Jesus Christ, today can be the day of salvation for you. If you're willing to come, as the word of God says, in repentance and faith and accept the wonderful gift that God has provided for you. We've just come through Christmas. We celebrate the the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that has ever been given. And just a couple of verses, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. God used a whole series of verses in the book of Romans to speak to my heart when I was convicted of my sin. But in Romans 10, 10, 9 and 10, it says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the mouth you confess and are saved, and it's with the heart that you believe and are justified. There's two implications in those verses. If we are going to confess Jesus as Lord, it means we are willing to say, I've been Lord of my own life. I've been in control, and I am surrendering my life to be all for Christ, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if we are willing to say, uh, we believe that God raised him from the dead, before someone can be raised from the dead, what has to happen? There has to be a death. Before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a death. And we are then willing to say, I believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay the full price for my sin if you want to know more about what it means to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there are many of us here today who would be more than glad to take all the time necessary to help you understand the truth of God's Word, how you can enter into a personal relationship with Jesus, not just knowing about Him, but coming in repentance and faith and accepting His wonderful gift of salvation. Number one, a real relationship with Jesus must be personal. Number two, Paul goes on to tell us here in our passage in Philippians 3 that a real relationship with Jesus will be powerful. He says, what? I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. The word power here means the ability to overcome resistance. It's the same word that Peter uses when he says God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. It's where we derive the, uh, our English word for dynamite. What is dynamite used for? Well, you think of uh, an old football stadium that needs to be uh, removed in order for a new stadium to be built. That old stadium is resisting the building of the new stadium. So what do they use to implode that old building so it can be removed? They use dynamite. The resistance is removed. Think of those who built the Trans-Canada Railway. Everything was going really, really well until they got to Alberta and saw the Rocky Mountains. (laughs) And they realized when they got there, we can't go over them, we can't go around them, we can't go under them, what do we have to do? We have to go through them. Those mountains were resisting the railway from going fully from east to west. And so what did they use? They used dynamite. Many were killed, many were severely injured as a result of that work that was done. We get to enjoy it. I've never been on that trip. Maybe good to do one day, but others I know have gone on that trip and gone through the mountains on the rail. Those mountains were resisting the railway going through. So that dynamite was, moved, was used to, to remove the resistance. As followers of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we face resistance as we seek to live out our faith in this world. But God's divine power, the ability to overcome that resistance, has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. We have no excuse. Yes, Satan's temptations come at us constantly. We need to be aware of that. I've discovered, you know, as the scripture says, love the Lord your God with what? Heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do you know what Satan does? Sometimes he attacks my heart. My emotions. Sometimes he attacks my thought life, my mind. Sometimes, with God's permission, as we see in Job's life, he attacks us physically. Sometimes he attacks our very soul. Sometimes he attacks all four at the same time. (laughs) We need to stand firm. And again, God's divine power, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, is the same power that's available to us as we live our daily lives as followers of Jesus. One thing I learned uh, soon after accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior was at the moment of salvation, one of the many things that happened to me was God the Holy Spirit took up residence in my life. I was indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. Greater is He who is what? In us than He who is in the world. We can stand firm. There's times to resist the devil, there's times to run. Joseph gives us a great example for our teenagers and young people regarding when to run. He got out of there as quickly as possible, paid a huge price for it, but he did what was right. But we need to stand firm. And again, God has given us not just the Holy Spirit who lives inside every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also given us in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. I encourage you to read that through. And I believe personally, and this is something I strive to do, is we need to pray on the full armor of God every day before we leave our homes because we are going out into the world. We're going out into the battlefield and we will face temptation. Could you imagine one of the soldiers, brave soldiers in our Canadian military, when they were seeing active duty in Kandahar in Afghanistan, they were facing a real enemy. One of our brave soldiers decided, well, today I've just made the decision, I'm going to wear my civilian clothes, I'm not going to carry the, the weapon that the military has provided for me, I'm not going to ride in the armored vehicle with the rest of my troops, no, I'm just going to walk ahead of my platoon and I'm going to face the enemy. What would you call that soldier? Absolutely foolish. Can I ask you, when's the last time you took the time in the morning before you left your home to pray on the full armor of God? God's given it to us. Memorize it. Figure out a way that works for you to remember to pray it on. Uh, what I do personally, uh, my wife because I look so good, it's not because of me. I'm useless with color coordination. She lays out my clothes for me in the bathroom. They were laid out for me today so I could get dressed and look good in front of you. I got to put on these physical clothes every day, right? So as I put on these physical clothes, I strive to remind myself to pray on the full armor of God. And then, as we read about the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, most of those pieces of armor are for our protection. There's a shield, there's a helmet, right? There's a breastplate. Those are for protection, but there are two offensive weapons. One we've already heard about again this morning, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God and prayer on all occasions. So not only pray on the armor of God, but before you leave your home in the morning, and this might mean tomorrow or Tuesday when you go back to work, you've got to get up a little bit earlier, but spend some time reading the word of God and spend some time in prayer. Prepare yourself to go out into the world. This temptation will come. Satan absolutely hates us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But... God's divine power has given us everything we need. And again, Paul prays that for himself. I want to know Christ. It must be personal. And yes, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Number three, a real relationship with Jesus, it will be painful. This is not one that we like to hear. What does Paul say? I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. In Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul writes these words, I, uh, the original language word there means ego in English. So literally, me, myself, and I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, Paul understood the reality of his relationship with Jesus meant it will be painful. Uh, one translation uses the word uh, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, in church, when we think of the word fellowship, what automatically comes to your mind? What's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word fellowship? Food, exactly. I loved after church fellowship as a teenager. Okay, trust me, it was great. Or we had a potluck lunch, or we had Sunday night, we called them snacks, Sunday night after church social with our youth group. Uh, it was great to get together, but there was always food involved. And so, fellowship for, for most of us has a very positive connotation. But here it's used related to suffering for the cause of Christ. A real relationship with Jesus will be painful. The Apostle Paul could speak with authority about this. Listen to the sufferings. some of the sufferings that Paul went through as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're recorded for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, often gone without food. I have been cold, and naked you think Paul could speak with authority when it came to the fellowship of sharing within the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ again for us today as followers of Jesus if we are truly going to live as passionate followers of Christ if we are going to say yes I'm going to be all for Christ then there will be a cost to that for us A verse I learned early on as a young believer was Luke 9.23. If anyone wants to come after me, Jesus says, let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. There's a cost to following Christ. We will suffer in society as we strive to live righteous lives. The moment we came to Christ, we, we were no longer the, the actors, the, the minor actors and actresses in, in the, the back of the stage. We are now front and center, living in the light for everybody to see. I encourage us in our context, no matter where we're at work or at play or at school, uh, let people know you're a follower of Jesus. It's a lot easier to do it at the front end. Just let them know. But realize... As you live in the light, by your works and by your words, then we will suffer in our society. And I believe in our country, we see it in other countries, it's just going to keep growing and growing. And you know what? That's okay. I say, bring on the darkness. You know why? And it's going to happen before Christ returns. If you bring on the darkness, what happens to the light? It shines brighter and brighter. And God will give us more opportunities than ever before to live lives for the Lord Jesus Christ and to communicate the life-giving, life-changing message of the gospel to those around us. That's why we need the family of God, by the way, because we all suffer at times. Some are going through more hardship right now than others. We need to be aware of that. We need to be praying for one another as the family of God at Wallenstein, and we also need to come alongside to support and encourage those who are going through hardship as a result of their relationship with Christ. That's part of being, that's part of the family of God. And by the way, those of you who are, like me, older here this morning, notice I didn't call you old, just older. To me, anybody who's 40 and above, sorry, you're older. (laughs) Those who are younger need to see that our faith is not just something we talk about, but that our faith works in everyday life. They need to hear our stories from the past. And young people, I encourage you to come alongside older folks at our church (laughs) And ask them to share their stories with you. Ask them to share their testimonies. Ask them to share the painful experiences that they have gone through so you can know what it means to go through suffering as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ask them how they handled that. How did you ever get through that experience? And as we who are older, just be willing to share your stories. One, it's an encouragement, but it's also a strengthening to those. Number four, as we wrap up this morning, a real relationship with Jesus, yes, it must be personal. It will be powerful. It's going to be painful. But number four, it's always purposeful. And we see that in verse 11, where Paul says, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I remember reading that verse for the very first time, and I thought to myself, is the apostle Paul doubting the resurrection of Christ? Because that's the way it seems to come across, right? So somehow to attain to this resurrection from the dead? Well, all you got to do is go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read the first 57 verses. And what does Paul talk about in those verses? The resurrection of Christ. The fact of the resurrection that just as Christ was raised from the grave, one day we will also be raised from the grave if we die before Jesus Christ returns for his church. There will be a glorious resurrection. And those who are alive and still remain... They will also be raised, and they will be changed into a glorified body. So what is Paul saying here in verse 11? So somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. In English, we just have one word for resurrection. And when you think of the word resurrection, uh, what do you think of? To be raised what? Up from the dead, right? You know, up from the grave he arose. We sing that at Easter. That's our focus. To be raised up from the dead, The word that we translate resurrection in verse 11 has a slight variance in the original Greek language. It doesn't mean here to be raised up from the dead. It means to be raised out from the dead. Very significant difference for us to learn and to understand. So what is Paul saying here? Paul knew that as a follower of Jesus, he was alive physically. But he was also alive spiritually He knew those who didn't know Christ, they were also alive physically just as much as he was, but they were dead spiritually. Paul said, I want to live my life in such a way that it's as though I already have this glorified body. Because one day we will have a glorified body. The Bible tells us that. But Paul says, while God has left me here on planet Earth, I want to live my life in such a way that it is so clear to those who are the living dead that I know and love Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I want to live out from them. I don't want to blend in with the world. I, I, I want to stand out from this world. And yes, that will mean pain and suffering for me, but I'm willing to do that for what? For the cause of the gospel. I love Paul in Acts chapter 20. I call that a sermon. You preach through that passage. It's a sermon saturated with significant statements. Paul makes about seven significant statements in that passage. But one of the significant statements he makes is this. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I may only complete the task that God has given me. What was that task? He says, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He says, that's my whole life. For us here today, God's left us here for a purpose. The moment we came to repentance and faith in Christ, he could have taken us home to heaven, right? But for all of us, he's giving us a window of time to live our lives in such a way that people around us who do not yet know Jesus clearly see Jesus in us in 2 Corinthians chapter five Paul talks to the church there and says uh, you've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation helping people become reconciled friends with God again and you've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation and that's no different for us it was written to a church wallenstein bible chapel we've been entrusted by god with both the ministry and the message of reconciliation what's the ministry of reconciliation i call that the clear visual demonstration of our faith it's what we do for jesus is that important absolutely what is the message of reconciliation it's the concise verbal declaration of our faith is that important absolutely And ultimately, it's not enough just to give a clear visual demonstration. That's very important. But ultimately, we have to give a concise verbal declaration of our faith. Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of truth, by the word of God. Ultimately, we also have to speak the gospel as we live out the gospel. There are thousands around us who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, right? You go to work with them every day. You're going to go back to school with them soon. They live in our neighborhoods. And God has entrusted all of us, not just pastors and elders in the church, not just the apostles. He's commanded all of us that as we go, we are to do what? Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded us. What is the goal of making disciples? Helping people come to faith, seeing them baptized, and then teaching them to observe so they can go and do what? Make more disciples. It's a ministry of multiplication. And God wants to use all of us. You might say, I'm not sure I can do that. You can do it. Live your life, first of all, in such a way that it's as though you already have this wonderful resurrected body that people look at you and say there's Jesus what Paul would be saying to us today was this if he was around he'd say as i go into your tim hortons as i go to your swiss chalets as i shop in your walmarts as i drive along your highways <laughs> as i work in your workplace or go to your schools i want to live my life in such a way that all people see and hear is jesus and wouldn't it be wonderful If God gives all of us in this new year the opportunity to at least share the good news of the gospel with someone, we don't save anyone. God does. But God wants to use us to have influence in the hearts and lives of those that are part of your life and a part of my life. God has saved us for a purpose. Paul knew that in his life. And let's pray that God would just use every one of us. You know where the best way to start is to start praying For a few people, we always did three friends cards, my three friends who need Jesus. And just start to pray for those people. And as you pray for them, ask God for the opportunity to connect with them in some way. Might be going out for coffee, might be playing a round of golf, (laughs) doing something with them. And as you build that relationship, as you cultivate that relationship, and you begin to sow the seed of the gospel, pray that there would be a great harvest. a wonderful picture i learned years ago from a ministry called sun life and they use the picture of eternal cpr it's a farming picture cultivate plant and reap many of you in the room today you're farmers you know you can't plant until you do what you cultivate the soil and we cultivate the soil of the relationship with those who do not yet know christ we ask god at the right time to plant the seed And then we ask God to reap a harvest. What is CPR used for? To help bring someone who was alive and now dead back to life. And God gives us that incredible privilege. I read this quote a number of months ago and it says this. Many churches have been consumed with being fisher or being consumed with being keepers of the aquarium rather than being fishers of men. Is it important to keep the aquarium? Well, if you've ever raised fish, you know. If you don't keep it clean, the fish die. And so yes, we must keep the aquarium. <laughs> God's family encouraged and growing and, and being taught the word of God. But we also have to be fishers of men. And I love what Jesus did with his disciples. Many of them were fishermen, right? When he called them to first to be his disciples and then later to be his apostles. He took them from catching what was alive and they were making it dead, fish, and he turned that all around and they were catching what was dead, lost men and women, and helping them bring them to new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. A real relationship with Jesus. It must be personal. Oh, it will be powerful. It's going to be painful, but it's always purposeful let's pray together father thank you for our time together this morning we just simply express from our hearts how much we love you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace i thank you again today for my salvation i thank you for people who loved me for jesus as a little boy and lord i thank you for all the wonderful blessings that you provided in my life and in the life of my family And Lord, thank you for the blessing of Wallenstein Bible Chapel in our lives. Father, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts. That we would know Jesus personally. And then we would seek to live our lives in such a way. Through the joyous experiences. Through the painful experiences. To help others come to know and understand who Jesus is. And what he has done for them. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for coming. Have a great Sunday. Let's remember to live all for Christ because he... Gave his life for us. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.